But I wonder, when we think of great displays of power, I wonder what we think of. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Perhaps, um, uh, for me, I think of the Apollo missions, uh, of man going to the the moon. I think of of that. You might think of Tesla launching a car into space. Uh, Perhaps um, more current, it's um, uh, the latest Super Bowl performance. I don't know if anyone saw Rihanna's kind of performance of these giant platforms hanging from the stadium. Tim's nodding. You saw that. It's kind of pretty impressive stuff. Amazing, really. And if you're a little bit older, you might think of, um, of armies parading their military prowess in front of crowds and TV cameras, uh, broadcasting one message to millions, don't mess with us. Today, we, hen- we enter into Holy Week. Uh, And as we mark the journey that Jesus takes as he heads to the cross, we we find ourselves here at Palm Sunday. Some of us have been here a hundred, well, not a hundred times, because, I I mean, that would be like a hundred years old, wouldn't it? But some of us may feel like we've been here a hundred times before. We may feel like this is secondhand. We might feel like we've been here, done that, got the T-shirt. Others of us may feel like this is totally new. Perhaps in your uh, tradition of church growing up, this hasn't been something that has been kind of talked about or recognized. We're just going to spend a few minutes looking at what it means, this life-changing message for us. And I'm excited. I'm excited about what God can do uh, this evening through us, in us, as we go forward. And you know, um, the, the need for man to demonstrate that which is spectacular uh, and powerful is really nothing new. I'm going to take us back a bit of a history lesson. Um, so who's, who's really on the, on, on the money with uh, the year 164 BC? Does anyone know that year? It was a, it was a good year. Um, <laughs> 164 BC, about 150 years before Jesus, uh, was a man called Judas Maccabeus. And you may have heard of the Maccabees. Well, Judas was a leader uh, of the Jews in that time, uh, where he came to be a leader, recognized the leader of that time, because he, he, he uh, started a, a guerrilla warfare revolution, really, against the, the Syrian Empire, which was oppressing them. Um, and uh, he was a man that you really didn't want to mess with. His nickname was The Hammer. That's a pretty good nickname, isn't it? Uh, and supposedly that's because of his ferocity in battle, Uh, or it was because his primary weapon of choice was a hammer. There's a bit of, uh, uh, no one really knows, but it doesn't really matter. Think of Ross Kemp on steroids. (laughs) He successfully led a revolt which freed Jerusalem from Syrian occupation. And to the Jews of that time, he was this sort of messianic figure. He was this, they were thinking, uh, well, what does messianic mean? It just means somebody who will change the world, somebody that will save them, that will bring freedom to them from oppression. He had freed them from oppression, and so they thought of him as this messianic figure. And the people loved him so much that to celebrate his arrival into Jerusalem on his horse, people cheered and laid down palm branches in front of him. And I don't know, if does this remind you of anybody? Judas's victory was achieved by brute force, and for a time it brought peace. But unfortunately, it didn't last and they were left disappointed. Was this really the Messiah? Was this this messianic figure? And when we think of Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey, it doesn't really spark images of power, does it? 
Is it the kind of thing that comes to mind when you think of a donkey? You think, oh, this guy is going to free us. Yes, finally. It's not impressive, and it's probably not how I would have staged it. Where are the mighty armies? I would have been like, right, let's get all the TV cameras. Let's get all the armies. Let's, get, let's, let's make a big deal of this. We're going to really set, we're gonna, it's all about PR, isn't it? And we're going to get all of this. It's going to be amazing, and we're going to free these people. And it would be impressive. But Jesus is here on a donkey. Fun fact for you guys. Don't ask me this if, if this is true or not. I found it on the internet, so it's got to be true. Supposedly more people are killed by donkeys each year than airplane crashes. (laughs) Did you know that? I mean, it's horrible, really, but um, tragic. Um, (laughs) That's actually got nothing to do with what we're looking at this evening. I just thought it was really fun, and I thought I'd share it with you, a bit of of lightheartedness. And actually, well, the fact that planes didn't exist to Jesus' disciples is probably a bit of an unfair uh, comparison. Anyway, you can have that one for free. Um, up until the, pe- the point of Jesus, up until this point, Jesus had been preaching, healing, and spending time with his disciples on the down low. <laughs> I didn't really want to make a spectacle of, uh, in fact, you know, we've been looking up, haven't we, at the chosen, uh, and, um, and, and we, we see this, I'm going to heal you, but don't tell anybody. Keep it to yourself. Don't tell anybody. In fact, he dispersed the crowds, didn't he? We've seen that. Jesus disperses the crowds. I love that. But here, we see Jerusalem uh, uh, journeying into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And it's a little bit of a spectacle. And people are shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna. You know, people are laying palm branches down. Everyone must have been going, what is going on? What is going on? Why the pomp and ceremony is kind of a little bit lost on us. And, but this is where I want us to just sit for a bit. Is Jesus, I believe, is saying something about who he is. And he's saying something about what his kingdom is like. And both of those things are critically important for us. If we long to be apprentices of Jesus, both of those things are critically important to us. Who is Jesus and what is his kingdom like? We see this stroll into Jerusalem. It's, it's, not, it's not random or abstract, but it's grounded in prophecy and it's grounded in cultural significance for the people they would have thought of Judas Maccabeus. But they also would have thought of Zechariah 9, and we'll, we'll look at that in a second. You can imagine them, though, uh, thinking, will it be a lasting peace as Jesus enters into Jerusalem? Will it be a lasting peace? So, uh, it was actually going to come off on the screens, but since there's no visuals guy back there, it's not. So, I'll just read it out, and um, there you go. Zechariah 9, verses 9 to 11. If you have your Bibles, well done. Uh, turn to that if you, if you want to, uh, or just bookmark it for studying later on. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. 
he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of my blood, of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Thank you, Lord. Uh, uh, Abby and I, um, we, we recently finished watching Vikings on Prime. Has anyone seen that? A few hands going up. Yeah, it's very violent. I mean, it was, uh, it's, uh, it's, it, if you're going to watch it, be warned, it's violent. Um, but it is incredibly done. Uh, and um, it's actually really accurate, apparently, as well. History Channel are really behind it. And all of the stories are, are, are kind of piecing together tales of what they, they think they know about. Ragnar Lothbrok, probably the one of the, the most famous Vikings of all time. A real guy who lived and did these crazy things. And then it focuses on the sons uh, of Ragnar. And it's really well done, really recommend it. But it got me thinking a little bit about what was their motivation. I mean, we all studied this at school, haven't we? But what was their motivation? If you've watched the series, you'll know the brutal lengths uh, to which they go to accomplish their plans. But why? Why the violence? Why were they not content? with what they had. And we might think from our school days about this idea of the acquisition of wealth. They just wanted to have more stuff. They wanted to be richer. They wanted their, their kingdom to be bigger. Um, but there was also this concept of the world beyond the horizon that was a big motivator for them. They wanted to, to explore new lands. They wanted to conquer new lands. They wanted to rule new lands. They wanted to have their kingdom bigger than what they had here And now, their desire to expand their kingdom meant war, blood, and death. And that's not something which is unfortunately confined to the history books, is it? We tragically see that played out on the world stage around us. News headlines are just horrible. And we see it right before us played out in Europe with Russia and Ukraine. It's just tragic. When Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, he announces a kingdom wildly different. Wildly different. I love this. So different to anything that man can produce. Where we might approach Jerusalem on a mighty horse, he rides on a donkey. And a donkey is lowly, isn't it? It's it's not threatening. It's what servants would have used to carry um, stuff. And in that era, people would have recognized that leaders rode on horses into war and they rode on donkeys when they came in peace. He's saying something about his kingdom. My kingdom, God's kingdom, the Father's kingdom, is a kingdom of peace. He's also saying that he, Jesus, is the king. It's actually, um, there's actually kind of steeped in significance about the, the donkey with David when he wanted Solomon to take over the, uh, the reins from him, pardon the pun, but when he wanted to take on uh, the, the, the mantleship of being a king, that he, he got Solomon to ride on a donkey next to him. So this is quite an understood thing that, that, um, that, that a kingship thing to do of who is going to be the next king, the coming king is to ride on a donkey. So there's significance about this. This kind of can be lost on us sometimes. It's definitely lost on me. But um, it's important. Uh, uh, I love this, this verse that we just 
I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. You see, the mechanisms of war that have, men have used to expand their kingdoms, horses and the bow, are completely useless in God's kingdom. His kingdom's it's just wildly different. It's almost kind of laughable. It's not taken by force or by power. He does not come to exert control over you or manipulate you. That sort of power isn't, doesn't even measure as successful. In fact, what we see is our Jesus in his humility, his demonstrating perfect servant-heartedness. He, he makes that type of earthly power look weak. And even foolish. And some of us are here this evening, having been so incredibly hurt by uh, the effects of man's desire to control. Some of us know that brute force. You felt downtrodden. Some of us may um, be enjoying right now relative peace in our lives, either emotionally or physically. And you're wondering a little bit like the Jews, I wonder how long this is going to last. God's kingdom, his way is so much richer, so much more beautiful, so much more life-giving and, and whole. It's, it, it's, it's a better kingdom, wildly better. And it's everlasting. It's, wow, thank you, Lord. In, in Daniel 7, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed Jesus doesn't, he's coming in to Jerusalem on a donkey because he doesn't need a mighty army. He doesn't need a strong horse. His kingdom is nothing like the kingdoms of men. In God's kingdom, the first, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Here's Jesus on a kingdom, on a donkey. In one hand, he is king, creator, and sustainer. As John says, he's the word there at the beginning holding all things together. And in the other hand, he's, he's gentleness and, and humility and, and servant-heartedness. Don't you just, this is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. Don't you just love it, that he's powerful and humble at the same time. You might have heard um, about the, uh, we think of Jesus meek and mild, don't we? But you might have heard that actually the, the, the word uh, meek comes from, from a, uh, I, don't know what, I don't know what, to, what language I'm saying. But um, it, it comes from a term which to meek a horse means to, to basically tame a horse. It's not about ridding the horse of strength. It's not about, about subduing the horse so that it has no strength and just, does, just, just is completely useless. To meek a horse is about, to, is, is about strength controlled. And that's what we see in Jesus. Utter strength, utter power controlled in humility and, and servant-heartedness. What a beautiful picture. And that question is, the question that we have to ask ourselves, I think, is, is what is he bringing peace from and what is he bringing peace to? Now, people would have thought, is this really the king who will free us from Roman oppression? 
And, and they were probably incredibly disappointed because after this, Jesus goes to the temple. They thought, why don't you march up right to the Roman headquarters and sort this all out? But he went to the temple. I think that's really powerful. Huge statement in there for us. It's right here in Scripture. In John's account, it says that they were shouting, Hosanna. And the translation for that just means save now. There was an expectation that this Jesus would save them now, in the here and now, from the impression that they were, here, that they were feeling right now. And then just a week later, they're shouting, crucify him. Does this Jesus really care about the real pain that we are enduring right now? Maybe they were asking that question. Maybe we're asking that question. When we look around at the the pain of this world and we see the trauma and need around us, does Jesus really care? I think he does. And I think we see that in in Luke uh, with two words. It says, he wept. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I love that. The gravity of this situation, that if, if people don't say something, even creation itself understands what is happening as Jesus goes into Jerusalem. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. They don't get it. The Pharisees still don't get it. Jesus doesn't come to satisfy hammer-like plans. Like Judas Maccabeus. He doesn't come to satisfy our hammer-like plans of, of, of building our own kingdoms or, 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 um, or the Pharisees' kingdoms. He knows that just like Judas Maccabeus, the kingdoms of man come and go. And Jesus is on his way to establish an everlasting kingdom. And it's this time with three desperate words as he clings to the cross. Father, forgive them. Does he care? I think he does. Of course he does. It's here in text, and it's here, uh, and he's here in the room He cares. He's here in the room to treat the root of the problem. He knows, as he's heading to Jerusalem, that that it's from the heart of man that every evil comes. What is he bringing peace from and to? He's bringing peace to our hearts so so that our actions reflect the kingdom of God. Through his death and resurrection, he brings peace and reconciliation between us and God the Father. He humbles himself and becomes a servant. And um, to be an apprentice of Jesus is just to do the same thing. It's to humble ourselves, to become the servant, to become a servant, to follow the example of our servant king, to follow what he does and what he will do in us and in this island to serve and to love. And if you're thinking, yeah, James, that's, that's great, but I'm still right here experiencing suffering and I'm still right here experiencing pain and trial and heartbreak and I'm seeing in the world around me, I'm seeing, uh, I'm seeing stuff that I can't have any control of where, where, where kingdoms and kings and men's and principalities are just, are just 
tearing apart the fabric of our community, tearing apart the fabric of our, our uh, just desire to, to be together. I, I, think you'd, I think you'd be well, um, I think there'd be a lot of people that feel like that. My encouragement would be to read um, Revelation 19. I'm not going to read it right now, but Revelation 19:11 just shows this picture of Jesus returning. And instead, he's not on a donkey. He's on a white horse. And it says that the sword that comes from his mouth and on his thigh is written the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's coming to... To judge. So we may see heartache around us now, here and now. But we have to hold on to the hope that God is just. And that he will come to judge. And I'll leave you with this uh, quote from Tim Keller. Uh, Sin is the servant putting himself in place of the king. Jesus, the king, puts himself in the place of the servant. And I think just as we begin Holy Week, let's just meditate on that quote. Sin is the servant putting himself in the place of the king. Jesus, the king, puts himself in the place of the servant. And why not just ask a couple of questions yourself? Let's have a moment of quiet in a moment. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come up. Um, But let's have a moment of silence just as we think of these questions. Where am I not experiencing peace in my life? Where am I not experiencing peace in my life at the moment? Where am I putting myself where the king should be? I might rephrase that to where am I seeking my own kingdom and not God's kingdom? Am I putting myself where the king should be? Let's just have a moment of silence and then we'll pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now to reveal to us the true King Jesus. Holy Spirit, reveal to us something of his kingdom. I thank you, I thank you God that we are, as, as Brian was saying before, adopted that we have now sonship and and daughtership, that we are grafted onto the family uh, of God through Jesus, through Jesus' death and resurrection, that we have all his good stuff, that he takes all our bad stuff and he gives us all his good stuff. I pray, Holy Spirit, now, reveal to us the true King Jesus. Help us to lay down our kingdoms and seek first his kingdom and I pray Father for that's a scary thing to do that's a scary thing to do 
Father, reassure us, I pray, that all the things that we need will be added to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.